Hey everybody, welcome to the Decoding Cocktails podcast. I'm your host, Chris LeBeau. The goal of this show is to understand the inner workings and evolution of mixology, hospitality, and community. As I further my own knowledge of the field, I'm inviting you to join me. You'll hear me interview people from around the industry about their work and beliefs. If you like what you hear, the best way to keep up is to subscribe via the podcast app you use. And if you think others will like this, I invite you to share an episode or write a review. Your words help grow our audience. And you can keep up with the latest news via our newsletter, Cocktail Confidential, or see what we're working on via Instagram. And please reach out. I'd enjoy hearing what you liked, learned, and what else you'd like to see me dig into. So let's get into it. My guest today is Annie O'Donohue. She likes to describe herself as the mastermind behind Sands Bar St. Louis, which hosts events that are full of good vibes where alcohol happens to be off the menu. Annie says that Sands Bar allows her to combine her two passions, hospitality and people. She really enjoys creating alcohol-free cocktails and events that everyone enjoys, regardless of their relationship with alcohol. So Annie and I, we had this discussion a couple of months ago, but as January loomed a little bit closer, it really just began to feel natural that this interview should be released now. You know, a new year happens to often represent for people the opportunity to reflect on where they've been, where they're going, and the chance to reset or even test boundaries of various things, such as life with or without alcohol. This could be temporary or permanent. For those that might be wondering if it's smart to step back entirely, Annie is a person that is, in my opinion, fully open to her story, but also very full of life. Uh, Our interview was a raucously good time, as you'll hear, plenty of laughter, and uh, she first decided actually to pursue sobriety in her teens. And so what's so compelling to me is to hear that, um, you know, for me, admittedly, yeah, uh, I kind of got my start really in college uh, with uh, having alcohol here and there. And um, I appreciated Annie's story being so candid that things felt dicey enough to her in high school that she decided, you know what, I'm I'm kind of going to swear this one off. So uh, what I really like is you'll kind of hear her talk about what it felt like um, when she moved to New York City got into bartending, found her way back to drinking. It did not go well. And so then Annie kind of called it quits for good in her 20s. When I think back on this interview, a couple of things that I just want to share because uh, it's it's an important one and a a topic that might make some people's, uh, that the hair stand up on some people's arms right here. So the first one honestly makes me think of my mother in her own way. My mother's a dietitian and often talks about what she calls mindful eating. You know, are we eating because we're actually hungry? Are we bored? Are we relieving stress? Or just because food is in front of us? You know, this idea of taking our time during a meal rather than wolfing the whole thing down. And Annie really talks about mindful drinking uh, in this interview. Uh, Why are we having a drink? Are we having uh, another because we don't want to be... Uh, look like we're uh, sticking out? Uh, are we afraid of telling the server or bartender, no, I, I, no thanks, I'm, I'm good for right now? You know, Annie isn't really here in her world to tell us that we shouldn't consume alcohol, but this mindful drinking term really does advocate for all of us to have a more eyes open approach to our relationship with alcohol. You know, I think this ties in well with another thing that she talks about regarding coping tactics, whether you're stepping back this January or in general trying to watch things or you have permanently stepped back. You know, she talks about maybe perhaps going over to a a friend's house. Uh, If you're not drinking, bring your own drinks with you because they, even if they know you don't drink or aren't drinking at the moment, it might not occur to them. Uh, How do you have a plan if the party starts getting out of hand and you start feeling tempted? Do you have someone they can call on to uh, to help get you out of there. I think this is always 
valuable in terms of having a strategy and thinking through the scenarios in which we might be aware that uh, things tend to get at least uh, a little hairier than we mean them to be. So while I am a big fan of spirits and cocktails, obviously, in the interview we get into uh, my sharing with her that uh, uh, keeping my eyes on my own drinking And in this way, we talked about a time that I chatted with a therapist over uh, six or eight sessions. And uh, in more recent news, one thing I'm committing to this January is keeping an eye on when I'm having a drink. So what do I mean by that? You know, most of us have often heard that, you know, uh, drinking can disrupt a night's sleep. But I recently kind of saw that quantified in a way that jumped out at me a little bit more. And it talks about you know, consuming uh, two glasses or more of wine within four hours of bed can reduce REM sleep quality by 20 to 50%. So I'm not saying this is the end of a nightcaps for me at all, but with so many of my nights, frankly, spent at home, especially during a pandemic, uh, saying no to drinks after a certain point of night, not that we're really talking about me having many of them, but in terms of better overall health in terms of alcohol coming into my body, but also sleep being such an important part of one's health, I'm really trying to be more mindful of shutting things down earlier in the evening at this point in time. So, and and a couple of final things that I want to um, go over quickly. Um, For anybody that's listening to this interview and now or during the interview might be wondering, should I be kind of reevaluating my position with alcohol? Um, Annie's full-time work is with an organization called Prevent Ed, and they're a wonderful group uh, full of plenty of resources on alcohol and drug abuse. You can learn more about them at Prevent Ed, so that's basically prevented.org. And I mentioned uh, my own, uh, I mentioned a minute ago, my own seeing a therapist uh, for a brief period of time. You know, if you're worried about the expense or it's frankly keeping you from having a conversation uh, if you work for an employer that has uh, that offers benefits, there's a good chance they might offer what's called an employee assistance program, EAP, as part of benefits. And this is a service where you can sign up and talk to or see a therapist for free. It's totally confidential. Your employer won't know. And a lot of times the conversation, if you were at all wondering things, and thankfully when I approached my therapist, In addition to broad-scale conversation, she presented me checklists and other things that I could look at to realize, you know what, sure, maybe there's some things I always want to keep an eye on, but overall, I'm in a pretty good place. And the cost of that conversation, thankfully to me, was nothing. So with that said, uh, I hope you enjoy this honest and warm-hearted conversation with Annie O'Donohue. Perfect. Well, I'm Annie. First, thanks for making time to come in and, and talk today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. I'm excited because while I spend a lot of my time thinking about uh, a, the traditional cocktail, one thing that is inescapable in a good way in our culture is the rise of zero-proof beverages, and for all sorts of reasons. So. Uh, so I, I, I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts and path on this, but if you don't mind, and feel free to expound, tell us how you got to here. I know you were in New York. I, I heard that you used to work in hair, and then you fell into bartending, but tell us a little bit about your path in bartending and how that brought you to where you are today. So it goes back to when I was 18. Um which like looking back, like if I, if when I was 18 and I found, and I could have known that this sober curious, alcohol-free, zero-proof space was going to happen, I think my trajectory would be very different. But at 18, I entered recovery and didn't drink for a number of years, for seven years actually. And that was so 18 to 25. And that's a pretty big like social time in your life. And I always felt like I'm kind of missing something. You know, I was sick of just like drinking coffee and with other people that are drinking coffee. And um, not that there's anything wrong with that. It is also why I'm here today. However, I wanted to be a young 20 year old. So 
I went to hair school, moved out to New York, and was a hairstylist. And that is, like, the place to be to go out. I mean, there's, like, a bar on every corner. Everyone is just, like, so fun. It's, you know, the city never sleeps. Um, And that's when I really started to notice, like, oh, I kind of want to, like, go have some fun. Um, So then I got into bartending. I eventually started drinking. Um, That didn't go so well. Um, But... So I stopped drinking again, and the zero-proof space was not around. So it brought me back to St. Louis, and uh, I started working at the nonprofit that I'm with now. But before that, I saw Sands Bar on Instagram. And um, for anyone who doesn't know, that's an alcohol-free bar in Austin, Texas. It's been around for a few years now. Um, And I was like, this is amazing. Like, how can I get this to St. Louis? Because... I think Listen Bar out in New York was like in talks of opening up right when I moved here. L- Listen Bar. Now, is this, are you talking about Japanese listening bars or? No. Okay. So no. Okay. Listen Bar, maybe that's, I mean, this is, it was like the first alcohol free bar. Well, that's not true because Chris's was before that, but it was the first in New York City called Listen Bar. It was in talks when I was about to move home from New York to St. Louis. And I was like, oh, of course this is happening when I'm about to leave New York. And so I was like, I want to create that space. Like, how can I do it and put it out into the universe? And then I met Chris on Instagram and we threw the first alcohol-free pop-up and it's just like the perfect calling because I loved bartending. I'm also might be going way past the question. Okay. Um, I loved the energy and the social aspect of bartending, but for many reasons, I couldn't be behind the bar anymore. Couldn't be on either side of the bar, really. And uh, I was like, let's bring it to St. Louis. And um, ever since then, I've been just immersed in this world, and I'm just loving it. That's great. Um, So when it comes to something like this, for, for a number of people, this, you know, we all know, I mean, to be uh, unfairly mocking of the space, we all know the Shirley Temple, like, as this, oh, you know, like, <laughs> the 13-year-old kid drink that, like, you know, uh, drinks. So uh, an environment that's completely without alcohol, tell that. Tell us what how you feel other people experience it, because for some people— you know, I feel like, if anything, there's the emotional comfort up front of the thing. But um, but clearly, we also know we've all been in spaces where, like, the long-term payoff was not there. <laughs> so tell us about this uh, sober environment and, and what's it sometimes like to be in an event like this? So I think it starts – people are always like, oh, my God, that's going to be terrible. It's going to be so awkward. What are you going to serve, Shirley Temple? You know, and it's it's – Because it's fear of the unknown. It's not very common. Um, I would say at first it can be like you can feel people not so comfortable. Um, But as the night goes on, I remember at the the pop-up, I I looked around. And in the world of cell phones where people, you know, if you feel awkward, you're on your phone. People were talking to each other. And I was like, like, it gives me goosebumps. Because it truly did feel like a night out. I mean, you didn't have, like, the insta-best friend in the bathroom because you're both drinking and, like, you know, you don't have that. You don't have, I would say, some of the negatives that can come with drinking. But it was really cool to see that people were social just drinking their own drinks. And there were no Shirley Temples, you know. I was actually talking about that last night. Some guy said, oh, you do N.A. drinks? Like, what about Shirley Temples? I'm like, no. The amount of sugar in those, (laughs) like... But, uh, yeah, so the events are really cool. I think I think there's so much. I mean, even if I go out and someone's drinking, I think I still feel a little more, like, uninhibited with what I say because that barrier or that fear isn't there. But once you kind of realize that you can get past that, it truly is just like a night out. Hmm. And I probably sound like... Oh, of course you're going to say that, but I, I promise you, like, it's pretty cool. Well, I think what I find interesting about that statement is uh, because we've probably all done it, and I've probably had it done to me, if I may, uh, but when, when things are starting to get a little sloppy on the rails, 
if you're more sober or just totally, you can throw some passive barbs at someone or or, yes. or, 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 or say some flippant remarks because we're all kind of at 11 right yes. now. But in an environment that's more toned down, one, there's no reason not to bring great energy to that. But maybe in a way there's also a little bit more of a mutual respect because we're all, in theory, operating on this on the same plane right yes. there. Yes, and I think that's another thing that, let's say the two of us were going out and you're going to have a drink and I'm not. I think automatically, whether you know it or not, it's like, oh, are you going to judge me or are you going to – am I going to say something I'm not going to remember? You know, if if you're drinking and I think uh, – I agree. I've never even thought about it like that, but we are kind of all at the same playing field or whatever if we're not drinking. Um but it's still, I don't know what I was going to say. <laughs> if it comes back to you, that's fine. Because what I think is interesting is that while there is probably more publicly this like judgment of why aren't you drinking, I think it's also probably more unspoken that there's this probably an insecurity of the person who can be having one of like, am I okay? For the person, yeah, the person, yes. the person who is imbibing alcohol. Yes. So, uh, so obviously, having you know from a fairly early age, uh, you know, played mostly with sobriety for many, many years now. Uh, you know, clearly, we don't need to turn this into like you know just a, a, a formal AA meeting. But are there? I'm sure there's a, a general array of of watch out signs or these things that you. Like for people listening out there, like, am I in control of this relationship or what? Like, are, are there things that people should be mindful of without us, like, hopefully infl- in, uh, imparting too much judgment into sure. the conversation here? Sure. And I, I go to go back to kind of the internal dialogue of someone who the thought process that might go through someone's head who is drinking across from someone who's not. I always tell people, like, I have the same internal dialogue, like am I like not cool? Like I go back to that teenage version of myself and I try to remember that I have so much internal dialogue just like this other person does that like we're both not even in the moment. And so I I do truly, I try to tell people that as well. Like, trust me, I'm not judging you. Like the things that I've done, like you're probably fine. But some more, so, you know, they always say, if you want to see if you have a problem with alcohol, try to quit drinking and see how that goes. I struggle to say that because I don't want to eat Oreos all the time. And if I try to, sometimes <laughs> I want to eat Oreos more. You know, so I think it's it's very individual. Um, I would say the big red flags, of course, are, you know, trouble with the law, ending up in the hospital, um, psychotic breaks. However, I think there's also... It's very black. It's not so black and white, but it is black and white because that's where people go to. They think, oh, I'm not homeless under a bridge, you know, so I'm fine. But I think if you're noticing that alcohol is starting to negatively impact your life, take a break from it and see how things go. I also reach out to a medical professional, you know, because sometimes also, though, if you have the thought, but it's also like a normal thought. So here, that's a whole non-answer. Um, but I would say try to quit. And if you can, then you're probably okay. If you are having a ton of trouble, then I would seek some help. Or reach out to someone who no longer drinks that you know and run it by them. But it's so personal. Because I know people who, they were just messes. They stopped drinking, never went back to it. And it's like, well, that's great, you know, but... Do they have the title? Do they not? I don't know, but they're okay now. You know, like, that's all you can ask for. Yeah, because that's where, like, sometimes a label is always can be too one-size-fits-all. But, um, you know, we were talking about before this. So with one uh, more than one of my grandparents on both sides of the family having wrestled with it on some level— um, you know, it, there's been points in there's there, there was one chapter in my life where I um, my work thank thanks at the time work for having like the little like EAP benefits thing. I called up someone and thankfully, with that in hand, I got to go talk to somebody for free for like I don't know a dozen times, which was great. That's amazing. But 
she, you know, and this requires honest dialogue. And I also had the dialogue with a number of my close friends, but like she basically kind of gave me a checklist and it was like, you name it, 12 factors or Mm -hmm. something like that. And really stepping back, and I forget, she kind of said, if you're checking more than X, let's say half or two thirds, that's a pretty good sign. Yes. That, like it's a pretty unhealthy. And while I always want to like consider it like a, a check back, I think it was fair that I was maybe checking one to two of them. But uh, what I've noticed at the same time is just that I think of it like the Oreo thing too, that it's... Uh, now that I've learned this wonderful hobby and at home I have a bar that is much larger than I ever imagined I would, I know I have all these cool toys and learning how to experiment and use them in a responsible way is important. Uh, one of the things that's come to me recently, just to kind of share my own story, is uh, I was talking, going to be talking with a whiskey distiller and I have some of his product at home. And I was never planning to have much, but what I said is I was like, you know, like any good sommelier, I'm going to taste this. I'm going to swish it around. I'm going to get it all in palate, and then I'm going to spit it out. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's been more about just the slippery slope of not one to nine drinks, but keeping it at one or one and a half when, like, we just kind of get casual about it. So mm-hmm. so anyways, uh, just a little bit of my own story there, because I think it's what our struggles with it look like can be very, very different and don't always have to check the stereotypical box. Right. And I think the reason why you're drinking, it's one thing because you have this, you know, these cool toys and you want to play around with it. That's one thing. If you're drinking to escape your life or because you've got trauma, I think that's when you, when things change. And, And the tricky part is, is that dopamine release is because it's such a fine line of, oh, I'm playing around with these cool toys, and then all of a sudden you're like, have I had four drinks? Like, when did that happen? Um, But to go back again to what we were talking about before, I think what I try to explain to people too is like with eating disorders, you can have disordered eating or you can like have a diagnosis of an eating disorder. And where disordered eating is it's very unhealthy, but it might not be life-threatening, you know? So you might have a period of disordered Mm -hmm. eating. And so that's what you were saying, like, you know, you had a period of, you know, where you saw your EAP um, counselor and, you know, you, you know, one to two is your, the fact that you had it, you know, you could see that is pretty good, but I digress. Um, No, but I, I say it also for people out there listening, because one, I like this, you have, if I may, it's clear that you are, and I'm sure that you you don't like the path by which you've come to the space at moments, <laughs> even though we're... I have no regrets. E- even though we're glad, I'm glad that you are here as a spokesperson on this behalf, because I like this play on words of eating disorder versus disordered eating, because something else you've talked about that I think is so important is this term of mindful drinking, mm-hmm. too. Um, and in a little bit, we can even get into the just the, the fully stepped back for one reason or another. Sure. But talk about mindful drinking because I think it's so I think it's so on the nose right there. So, so you mentioned your mom earlier and how she's a dietitian and there's mindful eating. Um, I think it most definitely comes from that. But mindful drinking or to be a mindful drinker is to really sit back and instead of going into autopilot – and having, let's say, a second drink or like when a server comes over or a bartender and asks you if you want a second drink, I always explain this to people is when I, for the years that I worked in hospitality, you always got that second drink before they ordered food because if not and they eat, they're probably not going to get that second drink. Um, But I think it's so often that when we're asked a question, we're just like, yeah, sure, okay, like, sounds great. Um... So it's really sitting there and, and and evaluating, well, do I want another drink? Like, why am I having another drink? Do I just love the taste of it and I want to stay with whoever I'm with for a little longer? Or am I just saying yes and I'll regret it later and I'll be like, why did I do that? I do that every time. So it's it's really trying to be in the moment and which in so many aspects of our lives is just the goal is to just be like, do I want that Oreo? You know, like everything can go back to that. Uh, 
So yeah, I, I would say a lot of people could benefit from mindful drinking if they're not already doing it. Yeah, it, it, it just seems like that, hey, I've had some fun nights out where things went a little awry and, and that's fine, but uh, I have a newsflash for all of you out there. You don't have to be drinking in order to be a good time. Yes. And so even if you went out and you had a drink, and this is where it's also fun with the zero, the rise of the zero-proof drinks, is like you went out and you had your favorite cocktail, you can still have a dignified, tasty beverage without having for things to get distorted, unless it's that kind of night for those of us right. still in that. But there are options. Right. We, we, we are, there is almost, as opposed to like this, like, you know, you said earlier, like we're all saying, am I not cool enough? There's almost even a level of courage. Mm-hmm. In, yes. And, and being able to say, you know what? I'm good where I am right now. And that is so hard. I tried that a million times. And it's, I think so many people when they hear like not drinking, they're like, womp, womp. What are you going to have, a seltzer? What are you going to have, water? And it's like, like you said, you can have a libation and then a zero proof, whether it's an NA beer, like a craft beer, you know, any craft beer or zero proof cocktail. And it goes back to that cool thing because, Someone might not even ask you what you're drinking. They'll just assume you're having a drink, which is, I hate to say that because it's like, oh, I'm pretending to drink and that's not the case, but I'm just like one amongst many. And so I do think, and again, like I think the whole mindful drinker, it's helping bring the drinking crowd and the non-drinking crowd together because why not? We're all fun, you know? And to me, I would say if your word ends Look, we're all just humans trying to figure it out. But if you're getting read the riot act by your friends when you want to step back, <laughs> I might also suggest upgrading your friends. Right. Too. Like how fun can you actually be if to have fun you have to have X amount of cocktails? Right. You know, I think you're always going to be that fun. You're just not allowing yourself to be. So. Yeah. And I never want to say like, to enjoy the zero-proof atmosphere, you can't have a drink because that's not the case at all, you know, but, yeah. So one of the things that I'm often thinking about is making uh, cocktails, making it easier for people to tend bar at home for themselves or friends. So thinking now about zero-proof drinks are there general rules of thumb? And what's interesting is I see the field going in a lot of exciting directions. But when you're building a menu, uh, if someone was going to think about, hey, I'd even like to offer this at a party, um, you know, and we could always maybe even share a couple of signatures that you recommend. But, yeah. but are there ge- any general rules of thumb you tend to think about for making these drinks? Well, about the party thing, a couple of my girlfriends, now they will have the mixers or they'll have like a jalapeno margarita with the tequila on the side to serve both both parties. Um, I would say starting out at home, the easiest way and depending on your level is to like get a seltzer water or club soda and get like have fun with syrups and shrubs because that way it's not so overwhelming you can find recipes on the internet for syrups and shrubs and then you can kind of make it your own um i do love i i love one of the challenges with zero proof cocktails is the comment of oh but they're going to be so sugary so i try to keep that in mind and i i like working with like a seed lip or a liars yeah yeah i think think it's liars yeah yeah (laughs) however that's pronounced i know it's spelled L-Y-R-E. Um, I love working with botanicals. I don't love working with zero-proof spirits that taste like regular spirits. I It freaks me out. I know a ton of people do. Just for me, I don't, I'm not into it. Um, but I do, do, people do like that. So let, let's say you're a whiskey drinker and you love whiskey and Coke. You know, like you can get that and that's an easy starting point. I just like to be more on the creative side of whipping up syrups and like I did like an apple pie drink 
that was super fun to create and it was like orange juice and pineapple juice like ingredients that I wouldn't have expected um but even like you had the Negroni Negroni week I don't know have you ever been to Planter's house this is not an at home um drink but they have a great zero proof Negroni Mm. like one of the best I've ever had yeah I know their cocktail menu changes a lot but I'm sure they could still do it for you but yeah I I like to start with some sort of base whether that's like a club soda or a botanical and then just layer onto that so I certainly like the idea of and obviously a, a a syrup can come to life in any number of ways but I I also like the shrub because it's obviously got that tartness mm-hmm. to it as well. And so what I'm glad to hear is is that, um, yeah, I, I like hearing some of that bass. And I, I have heard you say before about this. And I, so with like Seed Lip in particular, their brands just have, you know, some random names versus mm-hmm. with, um, if I may, I think it's Ritual. Yes. They have, they haven't even named this as, this is not whiskey, but it's, designed to try to be whiskey yes and whether or not it's ritual when i've heard you before talk about that it freaks you out i remember pausing in a great way thinking wow i hadn't even considered that for some people that have really had to work to remove this from their life having it without it still being a thing could still invoke some kind of panic or discomfort I don't know what it is because I love NA beer. So it's it's still the same thing, but it's like the smell of some whiskeys or tequilas. It brings back memories, and you're like, I don't want to be that person at the time. But on the flip side, I think those replacements can actually help a lot of people because I think NA beer has really helped me get to where I'm at today. The whole, I mean, I love Bush NA from St. Louis, but like, well is also from St. Louis, but there, it's just. It just opens so much up. So, like, I hate to say that, but I do think that if you're going to try any beer or a spirit that tastes like a regular spirit, you have to be pretty careful. Um, Just do it, like, in a safe space. But, yeah. um. I think, though, perhaps in the same way that a person can have a visceral reaction to, say, to a vodka or tequila, depending on what you had your bad nights on, Mm And whether this is it or not, a thing that came to mind is if we associate recklessness and being out of control more with a spirit than with a beer, and I'm not saying Mm -hmm. that's it, then that's evoking that versus the beer taste has that familiar bite without like, well, this is, we are, we are one drink away from a bad decision right right now. Right. And you're already there in your head. Have you had Groovy, their dry secco? I don't know if I have. I've seen you on your channel promote <laughs> a couple <laughs> a couple of things. Yeah, so the dry seco and the bubbly rosé, it's really hard to find. You have to order online. But I had a reaction to the dry seco. It's like the closest thing to Prosecco that I've ever tried that's alcohol-free. And I had that slight panic of like, oh, no, what did I just do? And with Prosecco or champagne, you get the effect so quickly. And when I didn't get that, I was like, oh, I'm okay. But... And now I love it. So, um, again, I don't know where I was going with that. Well, I'm sorry. Well, no, but I, th- I think what you were saying is is that its likeness yes. immediately touched off the panic button. But, yes, since wine does metabolize in faster, when you didn't have that response, suddenly it seemed like you were like, okay, this isn't giving me that. Right. And this is a comforting taste right here. And I can start to make positive memories and maybe that'll just scoot. Those bad memories need to stay, you know, for a whole lot of reasons. But the more we have like positive reactions, I think the safer it is for people to try out those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Now, when you are doing some of your pop-up events, um, for those of you listening, there will already have been an amazing event at Kingside Diner, but that's just how pre-recording works. So at an event like this, it that on a night like that, will Kingside Diner be agreeing to uh, clear the bar of all alcohol? 
on, on, okay, got it. So, yes. so these are events where it's not just your featured drinks, but we are kind of that night becoming a alcohol-free space. Yes. I mean, the goal is to always have like a Sandsburg drink on a menu, but yes, that will be our space. I just met with them and said, oh, can we take that alcohol? That might be a little confusing. Um, but yeah, we. I mean, we won't even serve an NA beer that has the up to 0.5% because we're affiliated with a nonprofit that works with substance use disorder. But also Chris had originally, he wouldn't even allow coffee or kombucha, which he has since, you know, become a little relaxed. But we just, to keep it comfortable for all, we just don't even mess with that. Remove all alcohol and uh, all zero proof, 0.0. And was the coffee nature, the fact that it's a stimulant, was that kind of the, the idea there? Yeah, which I'm like, how can you have an alcohol-free event without caffeine? You know, but that was the the thinking behind that. That's the sacred drug, everybody. <laughs> More caffeine. <laughs> yeah. Um, interesting. Okay. Okay. So is there... So if you kind of made the decision around age 18 to step back. Obviously, things were not... They were going so great. <laughs> things, that's right. You decide to typically remove alcohol from your life when everything's perfect. <laughs> and it's not even legal yet. And so I guess I'm trying to wonder what my question is here, because I, I, this isn't you know a gory details thing, but were there things that, that were just signaling to you at that age that like, this is not the right fit for me that is 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 an example you're comfortable sharing in one way or another? I would say drugs were probably more of an issue because be, they're easier to find. Um, alcohol, I was never... I mean, I always thought the point was to black out, so that's probably a red flag. Um, Wait, it's it's <laughs> it's not... Like, I mean, truly, I remember as a high school being like, oh, you remember last night? Like, okay. Um, But I would say it was mostly drugs and then drinking was just part of that. And then, which is also why that led to when I was 25 being like, oh, maybe I I can drink. Got it. I thought I can't, but yeah. I follow now. Yes. Uh, No, and and that's, that's a good... Uh, clarifier so thank you for yeah. sharing i always assume people are there yeah and it's you, just in my head <laughs> it, no that it, it 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 makes sense and i'm you know uh you know with all the cards on the table i didn't ever smoke pot until i was 30 you know i'm i'm, I'm a late bloomer okay <laughs> your prefrontal cortex is already formed by then so i mean i probably shouldn't even say what i'm about to say but if there were a time 30 is probably the better time I mean, I do consider myself to be quite the role model. So, uh, no, okay. Uh, so, thank you for that. Now, one of the things that is interesting, and I don't know if you've done any research on this in terms of uh, drinking and, I guess, just uh, substances in general in American culture, is sometimes there are these distinctions drawn between how people are raised up in Europe versus America, and I've heard things tell about like, okay, does this go back to prohibition when it was no? And like, you know, is that when, do you have any, and if you don't have historical thoughts on this, this is not a historical deep dive, but in terms of where, how about this, in terms of like, what are the things that are reinforcing this like hard party nature as opposed to like, hey, do we, why do we have to black out? Like, are we getting badges? Do you have any thoughts on this at all? Let me ask. I, it could go, I have a lot of thoughts on that and I don't have any research. I think it could go back to prohibition. I think, I mean, in America, we kind of like go big or go home. That could be a part of it. Um, I would say that, you know, we have so many breweries, but like, so does Europe. I will say that my grandfather who died due to, uh, alcohol, was from Europe. Granted, he's from Ireland, so that kind of cancels things out. But he did struggle with that. I don't know. I 
I wish I did know. I think I think it really just goes back to pro probably goes back to prohibition and our culture. And I think as we see our culture kind of change, hopefully we'll see that change because it's taken us how long to get here to even say like, oh, you can enjoy an alcohol free drink at a bar at night. I wish I wish because I know that they struggle with addiction in Europe. Um that's the million dollar question is why is it like that here? Sure. And I wish I knew the answer. For people that are, you know, wrestling or have even addressed this issue on their own, when they are with friends, if this isn't a more public thing right now, are there ever steps you've seen people take to... You know, you're out socializing, but not drinking and at least at this point trying to like just blend in. Are there, I, I forgive me, like, I don't coping tactics, but yeah. when people are in these situations, are there things you recommend people should keep in mind? For sure. Um, a lot of people say if you're going to go to, let's say a family, a holiday event, and there's going to be a lot of drinking, have an excuse to leave have someone that you know is going to be available to call in case you're like, oh, my God, I'm feeling like I need a drink. Um, bring someone with you if you can. Or just take a time out from all those events and just until you really feel comfortable, just take take a time out, um, which is hard because we're all social beings and isolation can lead to um, someone, you know, turning to drink, but I, I, having a plan, whatever that is, whether it is like having an excuse why you have to leave, only staying for a little bit, calling someone, sometimes even just telling someone that like, Hey, I'm going to go do this. Just want to put it out there. I want to be accountable. Can I call you after and make sure I don't drink, you know? And they're not really doing anything except holding you accountable, which is holding yourself accountable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Also, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Bring your own drinks. Mm. Because a lot of people, sorry, uh, a lot of people don't, you know, when you're throwing a party, you've got a million things on your mind. They're not going to think about alcohol free, whether your family knows that you're not drinking or you know, sometimes they even know, and it's like, oh, my God, I completely forgot. What are, what are we going to do? So being prepared. Okay. So for your the parent organization of Sands Bar, so for, for Prevent Ed, yes. let me get that right, is working with substance abuse on a broader basis. For people out there who probably can feel like they're on an island a bit, one thing I'm sure, and I'm sure I've bumped into it before, is I'm sure the numbers would tell people that they are not alone. What, what, what does that look like on a on a national or whatever basis? Or, or, or speak to it however you feel comfortable. Oh, when I hear that, it just brings me back. I think substance use disorder, whether you call that addiction or alcoholism, it is a disease that tells you you're alone, that you're the only person like this, that you're weak. Um, the numbers, unfortunately, tell you that you're not. Um, in our city, we have a huge, you know, huge drinking, huge uh, opioid, fentanyl stuff going on. Um, I just, you know, I try to tell myself I'm not that unique. You know, as <laughs> sad as that sounds, sometimes it's pretty comforting. Um, know that you're not alone. You're totally normal. And driving home that it's a it's a mental illness it is a disease is sometimes really comforting because if I had diabetes I wouldn't deny it deny it deny it I'd seek help um so like prevent ed they have an alcohol you know a checklist of do you have you know a problem with alcohol or with with uh substances but yeah I would just you're not alone you know and it Addiction will will do anything it can to to support that. To say you are alone, you're weird. Don't tell anyone. It's a it's a baffling, cunning and baffling disease. It really is. Yeah. 
yeah, uh, you know, feeling isolated is certainly not, and trying to find a way to have someone, you know, a professional or a friend to talk to, I'm sure helps a little bit for just to feel like someone knows this kind of thing. Yes, yes. There's always someone who's done what you've done. So for, you know, we have Sands Bar out there for people that hopefully are lucky enough to have a refuge from the entire space. And our bars and restaurants are obviously institutions that hopefully have a heart, but also need at the end of the day to uh, make a little bit of cash to keep the doors open. Are there things that you see or feel in terms of this sober, curious, alcohol-free movement that might give a bar solace to think about like what yeah. should I be carrying so are there are there things that you're aware of on that level in terms of demand possibly growing so I think the biggest um a lot of places are like oh no we're not going to carry anything you can't make any money and it's like from a financial standpoint alone you can charge a lot for a handcrafted alcohol-free cocktail and to me when I go out and I see that a restaurant is catering to that, I'm like, noted. I'll remember. I might, I'll might i order the drink and I might not like it, but like they still have won me over. So there's a huge... So at, for as big as the population of drinkers is, there's such a huge population of people who don't drink. And that's for whatever reason that is. But especially now when you are just trying to stay afloat, like reach everyone you can and know that People will spend the money because it's still a novelty. You know, I planter's house, I, I went and I had all three drinks, you know, like I, they could have charged 10 bucks per drink. I don't know, but I was just so excited to have it. Um, so it's really just from a financial standpoint, you can look at the numbers behind it and the industry, the zero proof industry is just, it's slated to go huge. I mean, you know, it's big when AB has a zero proof, uh, Diageo bought, seed lip, uh, Heineken, you know, all of them. And so you might as well do it. And a quick note, Diageo is the one of the largest holding companies for alcohol uh, in the world. So are there ways, because um, I had this discussion with somebody else, so I'm curious if you have opinions. Are, are One, it's probably better to talk about this than not, but are there terms or ways to talk about this in the industry that are unflattering or unkind? You know, like, are, are there terms that, like, we should be moving away from or is that? I hate the term mocktail. I, because be, it makes me think of Shirley Temples and it makes me think of kids. Um, that to me is the big one. I like zero proof, except some people are like, I don't get it. What is zero proof? And it's like, okay, alcohol free. Um, Mocktail is the one that I'm just like, oh, God, I hate it. Yeah, I heard a um, uh, gentleman, uh, Tom Halaska, who works well-being, I'm sure. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, Tom said he doesn't really care for spirit-free either because he's like, I'm yes. a, he's like, I'm a spirited I've person. I've got so many. Yeah, yeah I've got I'm the same. I saw that on a menu and I was like, oh, <laughs> that doesn't sound very fun. Like, So from your opinion, though, alcohol-free and zero-proof are both dignified yeah. terms. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's that, those are my two preferred. I like zero proof because I just think alcohol free still has that stigma. Zero proof is fancy and elevated and and um, a little intriguing. You know, it doesn't scream alcohol free. I mean, <laughs> it completely does because it's zero proof, but it's new. Just like this movement is new, and it just forward forward thinking. Right, because while alcohol-free is very clear, it could also still be signaling weakness, can't cut it, Yes, whatever. Even like non-alcoholic, I don't love. Because you would never say like, that's a non-alcoholic Pepsi. You know, it's just a Pepsi, you know? Um, So I guess anything with the word like alcohol, alcoholic, um, I hate like, oh, those are soft drinks. Because when I hear soft drinks, I think of like a soda, a soda fountain. Um, so I always think it's a little demeaning. I'm trying to think what other words are out there. Tom nailed it though with spirit free. Mm-hmm. And 
are there so I've noticed it a couple places around town. If someone is shopping for these things, am I going to just any corner store or, or where should I be looking for? And I don't need a I don't expect you to be like, oh, thankfully I'm a run, I'm a running directory. But are, well, sometimes I am. Uh, uh, but are there are there places if you're people that you'd be looking for some of these yeah. uh, zero proof spirits? So they're starting to pop up a lot of places. Schnooks has a ton of NA beer. My go tos are um, Total Wine and Russell's. No, uh, Randall's. Randall's. They have a great. Those two. Those are my go to right now. Online is, you know, you can find anything. But locally, those two are great. Um. There's another place on Manchester, Mixology. Oh, I I, I know. I think it's called. Um, oh, what is? This? Oh, you're talking about Intoxicology. Yes. Yeah. Um, they have some stuff too. Uh, Ao and Co has stuff. Okay. I mean, it really is. I mean, we're not at like local corner store yet, but it's starting to just really show up at a lot of places. Got it. Yeah. So, and in theory, if people are listening in other places, then if this is starting to hit you know, more local level supermarkets uh, and smaller brand liquor stores in a place like St. Louis. Clearly, it's something you can probably be looking for in any number of places. And I suppose also, I think I've seen this before, because that's not a regulated product. If you also can't find it, you can probably go to their website and, oh, buy, yeah. and buy it too. I spent like $85 the other day on NA drinks and Mostly it was that high because I didn't want to pay for shipping. So I was like, oh, I'll just get extra drinks. But yeah, you can order from wherever, which is really nice. And I didn't even think about that because I never ordered alcohol online. But I'm like, oh, this really does open things up. Better Roads online is really great too. Better Roads. R-H-O-D-E-S. They, okay. they have, you know, if you want to order from just one place, they have so many options. You can get, you know bar accessories they they have a ton hmm. they have like a subscription box too which is kind of fun okay yeah yeah if you're, hey if you're not if you're not <laughs> if you're not spending any money or less money on alcohol right? why not spread the wealth around somewhere else right yeah i've had people joke they're like i thought like not drinking i wouldn't spend any money and now i'm spending so much money it's like well that's probably a good problem to have you know <laughs> A better problem for one's health if it yes. was if it was excessive. Exactly. Yes. I mean, you still got to look out for calories and sugar and carbs and all that. But yeah, it's better than the alternative health wise. So let's talk about like we, we we talked about this a little bit earlier in terms of a Sands Bar event, but in terms of activities that I think God may have intended to be done on an intoxicated state. So I've heard you talk about karaoke. Yes. And so let's, again, pull back the mysticism around these activities as, and clearly, you know, sober karaoke is plenty of much a thing, but like, talk, talk about that. I think it goes back to that whole inner dialogue. You're having, I'm sure you're having inner dialogue when you do karaoke. I'm having the same thing. So I'm not judging you, you know, or if I am, it's like, oh God, I feel so bad for that guy, you know, um, so I have to preface, my dream as a kid was to be discovered in a karaoke bar in Nashville. So there's a there's a passion there. I actually recently went to Nashville, sang karaoke in a bar. Didn't get discovered, but I did it. Um, I think it's like you rip that Band-Aid off. You do one song, and then you're like, oh, that wasn't so bad. Um, but dancing and karaoke, mentioning, mentioning that to people without alcohol, it's like they freak out. I think those are also two things that sometimes people with alcohol don't want to do um but sometimes you just got to fake it till you make it i mean that's kind of my like motto in life is just like just get up there do it make a fool of yourself you know you'll be fine but you know you never know until you try like my sober karaoke is like leaps and bounds better than when i was drinking i've got video and i'm like oh my god i thought i sounded just like amy winehouse and it's like Nope. <laughs> I, I may that night have had as much as Amy. Sorry. Got, 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 oh, too soon. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. God love Amy too, by the way. Yes. I, uh, she Rest in peace. Incre- incredibly talented. Sorry. That was, yeah. Listen, I'm not here for my stand up humor. Sorry. Uh, That's another thing. You know, a lot of stand up comedians don't drink. Hmm. Like, 
overwhelmingly so, which I think is kind of kind of a fun little. Absolutely, I I remember, I remember Steve Harvey one time saying that uh, he said, "Every comedian I know that smokes weed is broke." So, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so, may, so maybe I wonder how much of it is in the long run. Like, do you have as much control of your delivery and really dissecting your act? Who knows? Right, um, or is it trauma? Some comedian tra- said trauma plus time is comedy. I'm okay, like, oh, I kind of like that. That's fair. <laughs> Are there other things regarding the Zero Proof movement, Sands Bar, that you want to talk about today that, they, that you think people should know about? I just think if there's one thing that people hear from this is like, give it a go. If it's terrible, you never have to do it again. But you might be pleasantly surprised. Um, that's my main goal with all of this. And... To also just, you know, if someone says they don't drink, know that it doesn't define them. I mean, it's a big it's a big factor in their life for the, probably or maybe they just don't like drinking. Um, like my boyfriend just doesn't like drinking and he'll just go to a bar and get a water and it still is like, oh, wow, it's so great. Um, but know that it's just one part of them and uh, they're probably not judging you and it's okay to do you and have a drink you know unless they say otherwise um yeah I just I really try to remove the person from it um because we all have our stuff Mm -hmm. and that you don't have to you're not committing to a lifetime of sobriety if you do a zero proof night or event or you switch to an NA drink while you're at a bar um just not so black and white and that you can have really fun like I feel like I did get a little dark at times but far for the course um but yeah it, it it's fun and you get to remember it all the next day yeah I I think in a similar analogy uh when someone asks what do you do our reaction as Americans is let me tell you about my job yes and of course as we all know hopefully we are more than just a job God, I hope so and so just so to remember that a condition is not it is it is just one of many things um in terms of who that person is yes just like the where did you go to are you from st louis originally i hate i refuse to ask that i'll find myself wanting to but where did you go to high school and it's for me i think it's partly because you want to connect with them but it's also like i want to put you in a box just real quick you know like maybe not everyone but yeah just you know what's your favorite color i mean that's a little People are like, why are you, you know, but yeah, people are just so multifaceted. So Mm -hmm. try and look past that. And if anyone listening is like, you know, maybe this, this, this has gone too far for me, um, is, should they, there's obviously many places maybe they could start, but should they be looking at prevented.org or or, or what are some good resources for people that are questioning suddenly? So prevented.org would be my first uh, go-to for that. Uh, We have counselors. We can do assessments and referrals um, for like families. If you have a teen that might be taking a left turn, they can work with them. Um, Social media, there's a huge, like Instagram has a huge community of just like mental health and not drinking um i mean gosh just googling you know if we all know about aa and na that's always an option um but i i would reach out to prevent ed and because maybe you you don't need to go to treatment you know you just need to talk to someone um because it can be like oh my god do i have a problem do i have to go away for 28 days like i'm just not i'm just not even gonna not look into it and i'm just gonna stay the same uh, so I would I would reach out to them. And I really like that because for me, and hopefully I'll, whenever anybody checks back in, it'll still be the same, but it cost me having the conversation to kind of put myself at ease, still always keeping my eye on the ball. Mm-hmm. But yeah, assuming that if you ask the question immediately, you have to shut everything down is wrong. Right. But denying hiding whatever no matter what the subject is right never a good good never idea. a good thing yeah okay yeah well uh 
honestly, this has been a lot of fun. Same. I wish I knew what else to ask right now. Right. But, but, but if more comes up, probably have to do round two at some point. I but, would love that. But thank you for coming in. And um, yeah, hopefully we talk again soon. Love so. to. Thank you. You bet. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you liked the interview, the transcript and show notes are located at decodingcocktails.com slash podcast. The Decoding Cocktails podcast is produced by Chris Bay and myself, Chris LeBeau. Subscribe to avoid missing an episode. And if you think this is good stuff, share it with a friend or review us on your listening platform. And check out our newsletter, Cocktail Confidential. Remember, the best way to get better at mixology is to practice. And the best way to do that is in the company of friends and family. Happy cocktailing, everybody. Thank you.